Hey, welcome to this week's episode. This week's episode is actually one of my favourites. I had a few faux pas with the recording because I tried something new and then me not being a technical guru made a, big, made a few mistakes. So the recording, you'll only see the back of Kevin. It looks like I'm keeping him uh, a, protect, a, protect, a protective witness, just not seeing his face. Uh, that wasn't intentional. I've got two cameras set up in the room and I've just wiped all the memory cards from the whole thing. So, with that, this week's episode is with Kevin. He is Constable Farm. He's got a little small holding, um, ex-policeman. He, I used to work with Kev. He's, he's a great guy and uh, he's, making, he's making a good go of it, to be honest. I, I, I've been up there a few times now. Uh, during lockdown, he kept me going with eggs. Um, he kept actually uh, quite a few people going with eggs to the point where he had none left most of the time. He's got some fantastic stories about the police. Um, and we'll probably do another podcast later in the year. Um, again, a few of them stories. But no, check him out, Constable Farm on Facebook. If you're local to us, obviously you want anything, get in touch with him. Uh, goose eggs, duck eggs, uh, pork or lamb he does it uh no great he's a great guy and uh yeah good luck even if you're not local go like his page help him out share some stuff he's a good guy yeah so here he is farm how did you end up going from a policeman <laughs> to oh that's a story of misadventure having it? pigs and, and sheep and ripping people off well I've, I've yet to got to the ripping off stage <laughs> <laughs> um, I think for the last few years it was just it was just a thought I thought that would be a nice thing to do and it just stuck with me. I'm working out here so much. I thought, well, I can actually do this and that. And you pay more attention. When you're being a rural beat officer, you talk to a lot of the rural guys, the old boys. Um, even the poachers you used to chase. listens <laughs> <laughs> to how they did stuff. and You meet people, that's fine. And then when you look into it, you meet more people and someone else introduces you to someone else and then you find out that you've spent your pension <laughs> or when you get a lump sum for, for lump leaving sum, you, and next yeah. week you've got nothing yeah and alright you better do something with it so you know you get the fences up you get the animals in and you start learning as you go along yeah and it has been a learning curve for you as I've <laughs> as I've as I've watched it progress um Frustrating learning curve at times, really. I was going to say, what has been the biggest learning curve for you so far? That's um, time management and financial management, I suppose. But the biggest frustrations can be your suppliers when they don't produce the product that you want. Yeah, like you had this year with your... The stock, if you can't get the stock at the right time, 
um, outside influences. Yeah, nothing you can control or such. Yeah. You cock up on the farm, yeah, it's down to you. Take it in your stride. Thank you very much. Get on with it. Don't do it again. Yeah. But uh, other than that, you're uh, <laughs> at the mercy of others. Um, what was I going to say? There was something that sprung to mind then. What's easier to look after, the pigs or the sheep? Oh... I can see why some people are pig people and other people are sheep people. The sheep are probably the easiest. Put your field up, put your fences up, make sure they're secure and you stick them in it. You check them every day. Thank you very much. Pigs need a stronger fence, a bit more attention daily because you have to go in to feed them. Um, they need a bit of a stronger shelter and a bit more attention as in the wallow and... but the pigs are more fun than the sheep oh 100% 100% the characters <laughs> aren't they sheep can be such bastards um, Covid was good to you you've done well this year flogging everything on. well as in we had a lot of interest yeah when people realised that they didn't or couldn't go out shopping or couldn't get certain things bits and pieces eggs was the prime example this year. I've got a few geese, a few ducks, and the chickens just have never stopped laying. And uh, the small flock I've got in the first eight weeks of uh, pandemic, I always had more stock than Morrison's. Yeah. Genuinely, <laughs> I had more on my kitchen counter <laughs> than there was on Morrison's shelves. We had people driving from the other side of Berry to get eggs. Um, some people kept going while the shops were getting the supplies back online. Uh, not everyone has, but um, people know we're there. And um, I, the girls couldn't turn out enough goose eggs. If I yeah, this year's the first year you've you've managed to get rid of all them easily as well, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, and duck eggs. Some people rediscovered goose eggs, yeah. saying, oh, I haven't had one since I was a kid. I'll take them or leave them, but... I never say no to them. They're, they're a great a great product. I mean, one egg does one person a meal. Um, bit cr a slightly creamier taste. Um, most of it's yolk. Uh, and if you hold boil them, they make the most spectacular <laughs> size scotch eggs. Well, the last one that I'd done with them was pancakes. Great uh, colour uh, for pancakes. Yeah, when they, they come out, they like said come out creamy. Ideal for the job. Um, and duck eggs are good for pancakes as well. And you use them for bacon, uh, baking. Uh, the bakers use it as a, as a bit more cachet to say, oh, this is a goose egg cake. You put a different sign up. And... Yeah, it's nothing naught on the end of the price, isn't it? It's nothing else. Oh, yeah. Like bloody eagle falconry. Everything's cheap in falconry until you buy something for an eagle, then it gets extra naught on the end. Gets. Um, so... And you're doing that, you, you started doing fruit boxes, not fruit boxes, uh, veg boxes. Veg boxes. Dab dabbling in veg boxes, because you've had quite a bit of interest in that over the last few months. Yeah. Um, With what little veg you've produced? The, we just grew veg for ourselves. It was to see what, what would grow up there, because not everything likes the soil or the exposed position of the place. Um, 
but it's been successful this year more uh, varieties slightly plan it out for greater successional planting and stuff and um, you suddenly find you can't eat that many carrots <laughs> and uh, you put together a, a box of all the other veg that you've got or fruit if you've got it the trees have had a the apple trees had a good harvest that's still still coming on yeah and that's been really well received i didn't expect people to pay that much attention if you want some more apples i'm going to get some from work we've got loads in our orchard at work i don't think the boss is going to do anything with all of them so always have apples because the wind falls slightly damaged if someone doesn't want them they go into the pig pen yeah yeah well we can i'm sure I can but do we've had a good reception on the boxes that have gone out we haven't sold masses of numbers we're not going to be rich from it but we've kept heads above water and people are asking oh you can do it again next year great yeah um how so you've you've started growing veg obviously the ground up there is, is, is as hard as bloody nails yeah how have you managed to sort your the growing problems out raise beds and stuff like that well i was certainly hoping that all we would need to do is plough over the, the field that we had, the paddock, um, put down enough compost and bits and pieces, and it would be great soil, but it wasn't. Um, so what we've done is, rather like the good life, <laughs> uh, Operation Tom and Barbara, um, we've built raised beds out of old scaffold boards. Uh, you build them as large as you are able to manage and essentially you fill them with any leftover soil and a lot of manure mix it up let it ferment cover it up if needs be to warm up and start planting and um, there have been some great successes because the raised beds they're off the ground when it's frosty so they're a little bit warmer warm um, great strawberry crop um, has been a success and raised bed wise what else do we run rhubarb in the lower sized beds superb crop the ground up there is ideal for rhubarb uh, you do very little to it you mulch it in the autumn with uh, the straw out of the chicken pens leave it and it it grows it's been fantastic uh, the absolute star this year is has been asparagus takes four or five years for your first crop we had the first proper crop this year and it was spectacular we've got some asparagus at work but in it's in the in the orchard the boss has just taken over so literally i cleared it all out because it was neck deep in brambles. you see it when it's neck deep in brambles no no so i literally went in there with a the tractor and i was like pulling bits off the apple trees because there was that many brambles going through the trees and, and top my through, then me and somebody else cut our way through with the strimmers and pulled all the... Say I did, I'd done a few rows, um, and then I got mobilised for COVID, thank God. So I got a way out of doing that one, and, and Lewis finished it off. Um, and then after that, asparagus started to show in there, and it's quite a bit, and that's well-established stuff, that is. But the taste when you literally cut it and then two minutes later you've put it in a pan of sizzling butter and then tip it onto a bit of 
hot butter dipped bread. It's just amazing. I'll take your word for it. It's JL stuff. Great, great. Makes peace now. Great flavour. So, before Constable Farm, hence the name Constable. <laughs> yeah, the joke which didn't go away. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, yeah, well, your unfortunately your jokes like mine usually backfire on you. Um, you was you was a Bobby. Yeah. How? When did you join? Before the wheel. Uh, the wheel had just come in, thank you, Daniel, and so, so had uh, radio, so, you know, we could we didn't have to whistle at each other to get attention. I, I cut a cup and a bit of string, counting it around with oh, yeah, you. Yeah, Always carry two peas in your pocket in case you <laughs> had to use a public telephone <laughs> box. But, oh, well, it's now 36 years ago I joined, because I've now been retired six years, and, uh, well, it's a different lifetime. It's a lifetime ago, it's nothing, jobs, nothing. Was it something it you now. wanted to do? Or did you end up just doing it? I can't remember a time when it wasn't a thought of doing. But growing up, I wanted to be one of two things. A chef or a rally driver. <laughs> and there weren't that many rally drivers around South Essex <laughs> where I grew up. There weren't really that many chefs. And you go through school, you meet friends whose folks are in the job, and you get to the stage where oh, I better apply for something. I've got to, I've got to find a job now. I've done my O levels, and you write off, and someone writes back to you. Oh, that's all right. You fill out the form. We send it off. You get another letter back. Oh, would you like to come for an interview? Thank you very much. And from the first letter I wrote off to joining on my first day, it was about eight months. And these process. days you can wait two years for an interview, depending on which force is doing an intake. And 30 years later, having told myself, I'll give it another year, I'll just give it another year, I completed 30 years and walked out with a pension. Um. The process hasn't changed at all, you know, even though I know my experiences of joining um, CNC, it's just a diabolical system, it's so slow, I think there's so much going, so many people going through the system at once, that it's just horrendous, and then now Covid's here, I, I reckon if I get through the next stage, which I think I've morally really buggered up, um... It's not, I'm not looking to go and do anything until April, May. And I start to process what in February. Yeah, well, they can pick and choose and, and make the selection themselves. It's, yeah. I joined at a time when it wasn't as well paid. Um, and it's basically, if you've got an interview, the way it turned out, 99% of you ended up getting the job. They'd done the selection on the paper sift. Yeah, um, that's what I could do with. Would you do, would you, would you, if you could go back and do something again, would you do it again? Or do you think you'd be around? I wouldn't other? join now, here in the present day. It's a different job, as in the expectations of those joining and those who are employing you the 
days of your Dixner dot green copper barely existed when I joined it. It does not exist now at all. Um, it is different. Obviously unique, isn't it? If you go into town, if you go into Needham or into Hadley, you don't see a copper on foot. I saw one uh, Wednesday. Was he walking? She. Walking. At least I think at the proper police officer it might have been a plastic pig, but I think it was a a normal one. A real one, not yeah. community support officer, yeah. if there are any left. Yeah, I know Hadley had some. I used to because she was looking at cars parked, taking registrations parked on the, you know, the thirty-minute spots. So it could be the new uniform ticket wardens for the council. May have been, but it looked it looked like a a, a police officer, not a. I don't know what she was up in the distance, but you don't see him very often. Only we don't want to see one. The probationer when I joined was the one that got sent out on foot. You weren't allowed to drive unless the sergeant had run out of other people <laughs> to drive the cars. <laughs> and you had everything in your career, didn't you? So you'd done on foot driving, even a push bike. Yeah. It's in the local village bobby. Village bobby, foot patrol, general panda work. Area response when I got posted to Ipswich, uh, various attachments and other teams, uh, specialist teams, and ended up what's currently termed specialist interviewer at one of the custody centres. Did you scratch all the itches? Is this some stuff you wish you'd done, or do you think? No, I I did my bit. I enjoyed the bit that I did. I wasn't ever interested in promotion uh, although invariably you get to be the senior copper senior constable on shift you end up doing the acting sergeant work when the sergeant disappears for leave or trying to begin becoming an inspector so is that the pay rise you, <laughs> you got to do um, supervisory roles but um, no I was happy on the, what I've done you saw the good and bad and the ugly out of life. Um, and the obscene, I should imagine. The odd the odd things you get sent to. And, oh, yeah. There's a, there's a lot which you learn very quickly because you see how other people behave or you find the drunks can be very, very funny or really nasty. Um you never see a policeman when you want one. Well, that's very true for drunks. They don't want to see you at all. <laughs> um, you might find one relieving himself outside a church, perhaps. And that's not the best place. And quite disrespectful if you're relieving yourself on the church steps. What you learn very quickly is you don't walk up behind him and tap him on the <laughs> shoulder because he'll just turn round while he's still in full flow. And... and uh, damage your boots yeah. so what you do is you just tap him on the shoulder but push him towards the wall <laughs> so um any splashback is uh, taken up by himself any comebacks to him <laughs> um drunks drunks and peeing are a lawn to themselves i got i had a mate at college who were we 18 by then? Probably not typical. 
just been started college, away from home, youths. Um, we, my mate, who went and got a the cheapest of cheap bot whiskies, the the half litre ones. And we was in my mate's room having a good time. Was I drinking? I think I was drinking because I, I didn't have any money, so I didn't buy any beer. And I don't. I'm not a big drinker anyway. And he went to the loo. Started to pee. Once he started to pee, just put it all away and zipped up, but carried on peeing. So at this point, he is absolutely plastered in piss. Comes back in my mate's room. We all see it. He just lays face down on my mate's bed. So two of my other mates pick him up and literally one by the collar, one by the trousers and hoss him out the door for being a dirty scrope. Uh, he was from Yarmouth, so it was it was um, inevitable he was a dirty scrope. Well, it actually, was... Um, Galston, Galston, I think he's from. And um, anyway, stag, he staggers back to his room. We, we then got a bit worried about him, so we thought, right, better do the responsible thing, go and find him. So off we trundled to go and find this lad. Nowhere to be seen whatsoever. He'd done bloody well. He'd got from the one block we were in to our block we were living in and up three flights of stairs into his room. How he'd done it this day without killing himself, I, I don't know. Through the door, locked the door. Well, with, with them rooms all having this, the same lock system, a lot of the keys, you could work other doors. Mm. So we broke in with our mate's key. But we didn't know, was my mate was being sick in his bin and propped up against the door because the bin was by the door. So we burst our way in. He gets carpet burn all down his skin. that gets trapped under the door because he's slumped against the door in a bad way. So we do the responsible thing, tell the warden that he's, in a, he's, not, he's not very well. I think that's the phrase we used. He said, right, okay, we'll leave his door undone, we'll keep an eye on him, just keep, you know, and then I'll keep an eye on him as well. Cool, jobs are good. Well, so the story ends there, until the next day. I thought, mm, I better get him up for a shower and get him some breakfast before lectures. And we, and we go in, I go in there, knock on the, I knock on the door, um, and uh, he answers the door. And all I see was a moustache drawn on him. Ed was here across his forehead. And a cock drawn on his face, and the the, the usual, the usual youth type of um, graffiti. And I thought that was quite funny. He went down. At that point, he turned around to go back to his sink to get his wash kit to go for a shower, and he and he'd had noughts and crosses played on his back. The lads who had done it had proper gone to town on him and drawn. I was like, oh my good god. <laughs> And yeah, that story comes out regularly when we see each other. Yeah, delight, the delight of dealing with drunks. There was um, one evening I was really new in the job. And call came in, violent domestic. Sergeant decides to send the new lad and his tutor constable. And it's in one of the streets off a small market town where I was based. We got down there very quickly. We're looking for this address can't find it the place is silent as the grave that doesn't help can't find it looking for it looking for it where is it where is it ah. suddenly see a small beam of light coming out over a slightly ajar door find the this has got to be it this is it this is it so we go up to it we shout police police no response this is certainly the address violent domestic be careful your own safety, as well as the reporting person. Not a sound. 
So we get the door and we push it open rather quickly to make a dashing entrance. And all you hear is this, <laughs> lying on the floor behind the door is an unconscious gentleman with a considerable amount of blood all over his face and a gash across his chin. Mm, he's unconscious. I wonder if the door hitting him on the head resulted in that. Don't know, anyway. Calling out, hello, hello, down the corridor. We can hear there's somebody else upstairs, but they're not responding. Anyway, Mr. Drunk starts to wake up. He is very drunk and reeks of scotch in the most vile stench going. Plus, two ambulancemen have arrived to assist. So, Matey Boy wakes up and he can only see four uniformed people leaning over him. He does not take any of our offers of help whatsoever, doesn't realise probably that we're there to help, and he staggers up to his feet with the assistance of the wall and stares at us and just releases a torrent of abuse at us. My tutor constable was a big lad, six foot five, tailor-made uniform, He's an imposing figure, and this gentleman, who, even through his uh, drunken stupor we worked out, was a very broad, Scots-accented gentleman, pointed at my tutor constable and said, I'm going to start with you, you bastard. <laughs> so he was told, would you like to repeat that outside on the street, sir? Yes, I would. Right, policemen, ambulance men move out onto the street. Drunk makes his own way, under his own power, out onto the street and says, come here. Well, now he's drunk and disorderly, drunk and incapable on the street. He winds his fist up as if he's in a Tom and Jerry movie, <laughs> wide round, swinging his arm round, takes a swing at my colleague. Misses, of course, does a beautiful pirouette and just falls flat down on the floor. We take hold of him and secure him with his hands behind his back. Drunk and incapable. Thank you very much. Well, he's fallen on his face again and he's ruptured the cut on his chin. There's blood on the pavement. My colleague says, I'm not putting him in my police car. Ambulance driver say, well, put him in the ambulance. And the ambulance station was next to the police station. Put him in there. We can mop down the blood. That's not a problem. So... Brilliant, thank you very much. My colleague and I take one shoulder each of the uh, unconscious, slowly coming round gentleman, and we escort him over to the ambulance. Ambulanceman is more than happy to help. Goes ahead of us, yeah lads, stick him in here. Grabs hold of the ambulance door, throws it open wide, bonk. The ambulance door meets the gentleman's head and he's rendered unconscious again. <laughs> right, okay, well, he's put in the ambulance. He slid along the floor of the ambulance. It's the only way to get him in there. So his face slides along the floor of the ambulance. And there's a great big streak of blood. I have to go in the ambulance to maintain safety. So we keep holding the gentleman down. He's certainly alive and well because he's trying to wake up. And we get him to the police station. Right, how to get him out. Open the doors carefully of the ambulance. <laughs> 
And all you can do, because he's flat on the floor, is grab him by the trousers, pull him back, and then take his shoulders. Pull gentleman by legs, go to grab his shoulders, he moves, we drop him, he falls face four onto the floor out of the back of the ambulance. <laughs> and he's, he's exclaiming a lot of pain, his face having hit the pavement. Well, we pick him up, we carry him through the doors of the police station. In our haste to get him in the police station, neither of us give way to the other. So he's squashed between <laughs> us as we went through the door. He's taken down to the cell block. Ambulance treats him. His face is patched up. He's so out of it. Once he's in the cell, he's ripped all the bandaging off and there's blood all over the place. Anyway, we go back to the flat to sort out what's happened. Is everybody else safe and hunky-dory? We get back to the flat and we learn it's his ex-wife's home address. And at the top of the stairs, there is a chrome-plated, brand spanking new garden shovel <laughs> resting <laughs> at the top of the stairs. <laughs> and you turn the shovel round and you saw there was blood on the back of the shovel. Okay. Is everyone all right? Yes. We couldn't get them to admit what's happened, but we worked it out. Gentleman was the ex-husband of the lady in the flat. Gentleman was under treatment for alcohol issues. Anyway, he'd been to his psychiatrist that day uh, for one of his regular meetings and the psychiatrist had told him he was cured. <laughs> so said gentleman decided to go out and have a drink to celebrate. <laughs> Slightly fell off the wagon, went round to celebrate with his wife. She didn't want him there, so she picked up the shovel and smacked him in the face. That is how the gentleman got the injury. And uh, it happened from there. It just wasn't his day. Cured alcoholic, has a drink, hit in the face, falls down the stairs, and then meets PC Plod and gets, <laughs> unfortunately... Tweedledum and Tweedledee turns up. <laughs> taken into the police station. Bloody hell. Clowns outside, will it? Um, or the dog. So you joined, as well as doing the, the police work, you also joined the reserve, uh, well, the TA then, or it's now the reserves. Yeah. How did that come about? Was that an incentive from work? No, that was, I thought, a good idea at the time. Uh, a couple of my mates had done it, and they seemed to enjoy it. Um, so I thought, yeah, give it a go. You used to be able to, it, you've also got extra days off from work in order to do it. Um, so again, you send off the form, you have an interview. I ended up joining the RMP at Colchester. And unfortunately, and I'm guessing it's... It's different now, going by your own experience of joining reserves. They couldn't organise a pit-up in the brewery for the TA at that time. It was, um, you'd turn up and you did to a degree feel like a spare cog. Yeah. Um, I ended up being, oh, what are we going to do now? We've got people from the, the TA in for, you know, they Work. knew you were going in. You just basically ended up riding shotgun on long-range patrol 
to drive up to Lincolnshire to visit an army recruiting office and then drive back to Colchester and they called that your duty. Yeah, it's, not, it's it has changed, but it hasn't changed. Um, there's still a lot of hurry up and wait. Mm. Um, our lads have just had an exercise now and I can't really slag it off because I wasn't on it. But from what I heard, it's... Could have gone a lot better. Covid's happened. I think there's been a lot of hurry up and wait, a lot of changes on the mm. ground. And well, the well, I was in the, the first Gulf War flared up, and people said, "Oh, Kev, you're going to go, you're going to go." I said, uh, "Maybe, maybe not." Um, I got a phone call, people saying from Colchester saying. We're looking for volunteers at this time to do replacement duties for this and that. And I said, uh, you, you know I can't volunteer for anything. You know the role in professional work, what I do. You have to send me the papers and then they have to accept it. Oh, well, it, it, ne it never happened. Um, and I must admit, after of a few less than inspiring duties and actually the way that they were treated I I called it quits um, yeah I understand it's cha it's changed a lot in that respect it's not the old man's drinking club as it were you know as it was sort of known as back in the day um, but we still don't get we don't well, nothing's really happened since since I've joined and well say that there's been a few chances to go out to places and do things but you get told our sons are going to Afghan, um, th three will England are going to back it, anyone want to go, put your names down, and, you'll, and it goes from almost like a, a platoon's worth of, of guys wanting to go, it gets wheeled down, and actually the last lot that went to Afghan, I think it was a handful, if that one from each company got drawn out of a hat and could go. So, oh, I don't know, it's all a bit backwards really, but... Some lads have done stuff. One, one of my mates, he done a couple of tours of Afghan when he was, when he was in. He's just got out, and actually another mate just got out. He'd done quite a few. I've got a mate who's done some UN work as well in like Cyprus stuff like that. That was all interesting stuff. But there hasn't been a lot of opportunity for me, apart from Op Tesco, which is what I've done for <laughs> for COVID. Um, not the saying that. To be honest, I learnt I learnt a lot doing that. Um, with the role that I got, I was um, put into a role where I had to be, you know, responsible for lads and oh. fair, you know, I had to use my work my rank as it was. Not I couldn't just hide in the back. So no, I, I found it, that that wasn't for me. It wasn't going to be a a life change. Yeah. So stayed in the blue uniform and uh, carried on getting posted to various places here and there. How did you find the cycling around the villages when you're doing the, when you're doing the local bobby stuff? If you can take the change of pace and any response that you make to anything is not immediate. <laughs> Three hours later it's, you get it, there. Yeah, it's, it's lovely. It's, you get to speak to people. Um, A lot more engaging, I suppose. Yeah. People come up to you and ask, oh, what about this, what about that? You, you don't always know the answers. Um, but there was also an expectation in that they would see a police officer. 
Um, and that was about 18 months in one place. And it can really take that amount of time to really start to understand a particular area. And I was just getting properly into the, that role. And, well, life took me off to another station, but there's a great deal of enjoyment from working in, in the countryside. Um, if you do night shifts in the quietest places going, you just sit still and sit quiet. You see so much more than just go, always out there looking to find it. If you just sit quietly, a lot of it will come to you. Yeah. Be it a burglar who walks past your car having just <laughs> done a job and wonders why the hell you're there. Um, or you sit quietly and you find a herd of deer surround your car <laughs> and stare in Hello. and wonder what the heck you are. Um, it can be either though. You, on, on night shifts, it was the greatest thing going. I, I love night shifts in the country. You'd sit still. I saw my first shooting star. Um, so much wildlife. Badgers, you'd never saw them at all. But you sit quietly in the countryside at night. Yeah, the badgers running around. Dad always said to me, and I, and I couldn't understand it until really, I suppose, the last 12 months, I really sort of got to grips with it. Um, we'd be walk around doing traps. And, uh, and Dad would off, because Dad was old school, he'd walk a lot of his beat. So we'd drive somewhere, walk around a, a certain trap and route, I'd get back to the vehicle and do the next lot. And we'd just do a trap, and he'd just stop and stand and listen. And I went, what are you doing? He went, I'm just, just stopping. I went, I don't get it. I went, just, just, just stop and you'll, you'll see a lot. I went, what? Never really got it. And it wasn't until I started having a lot of trouble at, at the shoot with various bits and pieces. And I stopped to, to wait for a stope to come out or I went and waited out for a fox. And all of a sudden, a hedgehog comes sniffling by. And then you see a badger go scuffling by the way and a munchak pops out and you think, oh, okay, I get it now. And it was a case of, another one Dad said as well, because they, they first went into... Uh, Dad, when I... Well, my earliest memories of Dad keepering was he had a trade bike, a proper trade bike with, with like, um, like a butcher's bike. Yeah. The black ones with, with, the, with, the, bar hat, with the bar brakes. Like really old, Hovis bike. Yeah, I think it had a, I think it had a three speed, it had a three speed clicker on it, or it was it was single speed. I can't remember, um, but I remember it having it having bar handlebars and being and being made properly, and they used to do everything on that. And then from there they went to get had the opportunity. They bought all them ninety cc motorbike things, them three up jobbies, mm. um, that everyone had for a while, and then from there they got offered a. You gotta have a, a a truck or a quad. And Dad wanted a truck. He didn't get a truck, and he got a, he got a van. But that suited Dad. He get the crap in the back, and and you could still walk off. And it was the whole thing of oh yeah, when you get the quad, you don't see anything because you drive here, you drive there, you don't you don't hear or see anything. And I didn't understand it whatsoever. And then like now, for instance, I know. When I go hunting, you know, I walk with my daughter. I got, you know, I take Poppy out, or I got my push bike, or or run with the hounds, which, um, which is a rarity. But my God, you see so much more, and I now understand that. But it's taken 
you got to be careful standing still watching stuff. I mean, unfortunately, there was one particular evening pulled up at the side of the road. It was a quiet night. Uh, you know, in my own defence, there was not a lot happening. You sit there and wait there. And suddenly there's a tap on the window, which gives you a little bit of a sudden heart attack. Well, hello, what's this? Have a bit of a sharp moment. Hello, yeah. And uh, it's the guy from the town centre who used to donate a newspaper to the police station. He said, do you want the paper now or shall I drop it off at the nick? Oh, I'll take it now, thank you very much. And then you look at your watch and you realise accidentally you've fallen asleep and you've been out cold for seven hours. <laughs> <laughs> and you think, oh, shit, what's if the sergeant's going to... Chew me a new backside, isn't he? When you, but when you get to the nick, no one's missed you. It's all Gen hunky dory. Nothing's genuinely. Happened. Nothing has happened. There've been no call-ins. But you know, for seven hours, they didn't even ask where I was <laughs> themselves. Which is, uh, that's, yeah, yeah, things like that happen. It's not to be loved and wanted, isn't it? Always. Um. There's, I don't know if I told you, um, did I tell you about the bloke with the homemade bombs? No. This is recent. So I'm driving to work and there's a police car in the village, so I slammed the anchors on and actually I was doing 30 anyway. I'm not usually a speeder, but that bit of road, Jimmy, I, I can go a bit quicker usually. And oh, that's a bit odd, police here in the morning, I wonder what's going on. Then I look to the right. And uh, bomb squads parked in a in a house, you know, in a in a driveway. Boom! Something's going on. So I ring up a bloke uh, whose mum lives in the village. I went, "What's going on?" He went, "Well, you never guess what. That old boy, he had um, I can't tell you how much black powder and explosives he had, um, fertilizer and bits and pieces. But he'd been storing it up and he's making homemade bombs." An IED had gone off in his house and damaged five cars, apparently, like in the area and blown the sides of the whole house. And the bomb squad was there for two days. Dismantling it? Yeah, and clearing the house out and everything else. I mean, mental. Utterly mental, that. That's one of the strangest things I think I've seen to date. I hadn't realised how prevalent. Um firearms and explosive were and okay we've got various gun laws and licensing and all this that and the other but you know the owning a shotgun is not uncommon in the countryside no a bit like hot fuzz isn't it you got you got license yeah. to that one yeah <laughs> oh, this one uh, this one sunday morning we are called to a house in a quiet village housekeeper had gone in found the elderly resident deceased at the bottom of the stairs. We arrive, elderly gentleman, deceased at the bottom of the stairs. The concern there is, was he pushed or did he fall? Fine, that's CID coming to do that side of things. But he was, he lived alone in this large, beautiful country house. House was full of antiques. This gentleman was a collector. However, you walk into the kitchen, and this was a large, a huge kitchen, kitchen, dining room, lounge, gun store. Right. <laughs> the gentleman collected firearms. 
at that time I had never seen an arsenal of weapons just laid out across the kitchen. And then you walk around the house to make sure it's secure before you depart. There are weapons in every house. You didn't secure them. Just the place. Every type of weapon going. So you couldn't leave the house straight away. And, um, you know, you then got to go and find the gamekeeper from the next estate who may have some way secure to, well, pick all these up. Well, it took an entire van load, one van load, to secure all the guns on this gentleman's property. Bloody hell. Was it you said about the one with the secret room? To me, is that the story? Have I had that story from you, or have I just made that story up? Secret room. Oh, um, a guns a gunsmith with a hidden workshop. Yeah. Yeah, a very strange, very strange gentleman. I think we were we were called by a neighbour who was concerned he had been shot at. Right. <laughs> Whilst in his garden, he said, I heard something whiz past me and a branch <coughs> of my willow tree fell off. Well, that's not a lot to go on, but... The line of sight the gentleman was saying is that house over there. So we go to that house over there and we meet one of the most paranoid gentlemen I have ever met. He talks to you through a gap in the door. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean someone's not after you. No. What do you want? Yes, okay, no. Well, have you heard any gunshots at all? Has there been any strange people around here? No. Anyway, we worked our way into this house and it, it wasn't right. And we worked our way slowly through the house and there was one part of the house he would not let us near. He would distract or get in the way. Well, we distracted him and we walked past this. You couldn't see, in fact, it was a secret corridor. It was, there was no door, but the way the room had been constructed is you could turn a corner, but you couldn't see that there was a corner from sitting in the room. It, it led into another corridor. He had a secret room on the end of his house and it was a gunsmith shop. And he wasn't just working on modern weapons. He was reconstruct, reconstructing muskets and there was a pile of black powder. There's buckets of shots and all this, that and the other. And as soon as we see this, he, he gets very, very, very upset. And I think because he then took a swing at us or whatever else, we arrested him and took him out. And we then constructed, conducted a search of the house. And in the end... You just can't imagine the number of weapons he had stashed in his house in cupboards, oh wardrobes, and the older members of the community wouldn't wouldn't speak about him. You'd have to try and find someone who's well. I've told you this, but I'm not the one that's told you. Okay, and um, but Bilston, the old and the bold locals still are about the Craig brothers. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Won't t- won't they won't talk about won't the Craigs? You know that they. Bought a pub for their mum. Yeah. They had a house in the village for mum, which they stayed at. But uh, yeah, even now the old the bowl won't. Yeah. And it's amazing that, or at least I think it's amazing anyway. Um, something just popped in my mind. One of your stories that I've heard, which I was going to ask you to. Breaking into the house. Yes, I'll say we've done police, police brutality. <laughs> Like breaking and entering, that was Bre- the one. Breaking and entering, legally breaking and entering. 
again, a Sunday morning. Sunday morning is great for the odd jobs. Is that when they all come out, is it? If you're going to get an odd job, Sunday morning is the one that's going to Sunday happen. morning or on a full moon. Right. See, thing is, weird stuff does happen on a full moon, doesn't it? It does. And um, Sunday morning, I call in. I haven't seen my neighbour. We always talk across the fence. I haven't seen my neighbour. The house is locked. I'm fearful that she may be ill. Three or four of us are available and we all go to this incident and the house is secure. There's not an open window. That we're knocking, knock, 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 no response. You can't hear anything. They've tried phoning the address. You can hear the phone ring and ring. Are you sure she's there? She has to be. She's always there on a, a Sunday. <laughs> okay. You find the smallest window that you can to perhaps break to release a bigger window or a door didn't have a small window so we put in a three foot window <laughs> crash right that doesn't release a door at all so we go in th we, we empty the glass out of this three foot window we're into the hallway of this house the internal doors are locked as well that's not not a good sign or normal well we're making a lot of noise and your initial thoughts are, is the resident is ill and incapacitated, one way or another. There is no other way into the rest of this house, so we put in the door. We knock a door off its hinges to get in there. We're into the living room. Living room leads to the stairs, but there's a locked door at the bottom of the stairs. The next door comes off its hinges. We make our way upstairs <laughs> and you look around. You go into the front room and there's the lady out cold on the bed, laying back, mouth open, no signs of life whatsoever. Well, that's why there was no response. So, right, okay. We know the procedure for deceased persons, fine, okay, so we open the curtain so we can see what we're doing and of course at that very moment the lady wakes up <laughs> she screams and screams that surprises the police officers a great deal oh what's happened oh calm down please don't yeah that was that that's uh, the shock wore off us a little bit quicker than it did her she was very alarmed to see people in her house but she hadn't heard a smash a window and knock down doors to come and check on her welfare and she'd been out visiting family, got home late and just slept very, very deep. Cool. Um, recompense was was made. She, <laughs> she did forgive us for storming <laughs> into her house on a Sunday morning. And the neighbour was very grateful that uh, her friend was still alive living next door. Oh, yeah. So that's police brutality. That's police brutality. So we've done what, the police brutality, breaking and entering, yeah. police harassment. Police harassment. Off my, I've, I've been harassed. <laughs> I didn't harass. That's nah, not the story that was going on Ipswich, though, was it? Nah, well, I ended up working in Ipswich and um, people outstanding at court, warrants would be issued. And the best time to go and find these people is quite early in the day. So, first thing of a shift during the week. We've given some warrants, go and clear these up, bring them in, take them direct to court, and they can be over and dealt with in a day. Thank you very much. 
So we're looking for one particular gentleman who is paranoid. <laughs> he apparently runs away or runs down the street if he sees a policeman, even when he's not wanted. <laughs> he just legs it. Anyway, we know the area that he lives. He's no reply at his house. We're looking for the next person. Call cover comes up. I've seen Smith. He's walking down the road. He's wearing a hoodie jumper and beige trousers. Let's let's clear this one up. Okay, so we get to the area. I'm th literally thrown out the car on the crossroads to, to wait for him and look for him. Seconds later, walking towards <laughs> me, is a gentleman in a dark hoodie with beige trousers. That's him, isn't it? So I stand on the path in front of him and I put my arm out to stop the gentleman walking past me. He said, excuse me, Mr. Smith, what's it got to do with you? We need a word with you because there's an outstanding warrant, isn't it? It might be. No, it's not me. It's not me. Well, Mr. Smith just has a flip ding. <laughs> He's going nuts. He takes hold of me. I take hold of him. And I'm keeping hold of him. And it, it becomes a bit of rough and tough in the street. I'm keeping hold of him. I've got the man. He's wanted on warrant. And I'm trying to say you're under arrest. Anyway, thrown across the street. I'm thrown in a hedge. I keep hold of him. We're rolling across the road. I keep hold of him. He's screaming blue murder. That's two ladies who are walking across the road on the other side, screaming, tell them I'm not the man he wants. Tell them who I am. Tell them. And the ladies don't want to know and they shuffle away. I keep hold of this bloke for what seems like an eternity. My colleague pulls up very quickly in another car, looks at him with a smile on his face and says, Kev, that's not him. <laughs> so I let go of him. I am not able to say a word to this gentleman because he runs and disappears. He's like the shopkeeper out of Mr. Ben. Gone. He's gone. He disappeared. Well, the fact I'd had hold of this gentleman for so long, I've uncovered it, I've got scratches, my uniform's dirty, all this, that, and was quite a moment of hilarity. And I'll get picked up, I'm heading back to the police station, and a call comes over the radio. Any officer able to deal with a complaint of assault, please, gentleman at the front counter? Well, we're heading back to the station anyway. Call comes out again. Anyone, please, to deal with a complaint of assault at this road? That's where we were. <laughs> oh dear. Well, we get back to the police station and I walk into the front desk of the police station and there is Mr. Smith lying on the floor with a newspaper over his head, lying in front of the public access hatch where you'd speak to the station clerks. He is holding the newspaper and he's saying, I'm not moving, I'm not moving. I'm not moving until I see a policeman and make a complaint. I'm not moving. Right. I leave him for someone else to deal with it. And the inspector comes out. And this gentleman alleges I have beaten him up. He makes a lengthy statement um, that he was attacked for no reason whatsoever. And the only reason he was attacked is because he was wearing beige trousers. <laughs> <laughs> a story worth J.K. Rowling. <laughs> yeah. Well, the incident then proceeds. I'm told there is a complaint against me that I have assaulted and beaten up this gentleman. 
okay you will get complaints made against you it happens for any reason at all whether it's vindictiveness or you've made a mistake it happens the complaint is made anyway I have a couple of days off I come back to work I walk, I walk into the briefing room for the next duty and people start sniggering <laughs> and then they snigger a bit more and uh, someone else walks past the office and says you all right Kev something's happened they're having a bit of a giggle here what on earth's going on he says tell you what can you go and have a word with the DI he'd like a word with you DI okay well anyway I go upstairs knock on the door go you need to work he says oh yes Kevin come in um Mr Smith oh okay what's happened <laughs> the story then comes out is the fact that the day after this whole incident Mr Smith carried out an SAS style raid on the front desk of Ipswich police station he ran in there with a full face balaclava Shouted, shouted out something at the station <laughs> clerk and started pinning notices all to the notice board. He ran into the car park at the police station and stuck these notices under every single car's windscreen wiper. He then ran into town. The town beat officer from Ipswich then came into the police station with a number of these posters as well. <laughs> The posters <coughs> read, and I quote this, and I'll never forget this, PC234 beats up innocent people, when will he be arrested? Hmm. Mr Smith had gone home, printed off a large number <laughs> of these posters, and was giving them out to anybody that was there. He pinned them all in the front desk of Ipswich Police Station. He pinned them under all the windscreen wipers of every single car in the car park. He then ran through the town centre of Ipswich and using a sponge, he stuck them on all the shop windows. <laughs> the town centre beat officers recovered over 60 <laughs> of these posters. Who's keen for it then? Referring to me. That's why everybody was sniggering. They all knew the joke. And I went to see the DI and he said, um, I better just tell you though, Kev, the best ones are... I only learnt about this when I went to post a letter. He'd sellotaped up a roll of my old postbox <laughs> with these posters on it. And he said, and then my wife was coming, going to work. And she saw one on the back of the Route 66 bus, which was going around Ipswich as well. <laughs> so for, for a <coughs> short, brief period of time, PC234 was an infamous character. At the end of it, Smith came back into the police station and threatened a sergeant. Um, led the sergeant outside into the car park and said, I know Kung Fu, I've got a black belt. The sergeant said, I've got a black belt too, I'm wearing it, you're nicked. And it got <laughs> taken into cells. And after consultation with the CPS, he was charged with harassment because of all the posters and stuff. And Peak the mental. It, it happens. Can't write it, can you? It happens. Just cannot write it. Well, you can't write it. It's you could you can't make it up. I was driving on after a night shift. I was driving a colleague home, three o'clock in the morning. He's had a long shift. I'm in the middle of a night shift. His house was on my patch. 
take him home. Driving along the road out of town and there's a car ahead of us totally on the wrong side of the road but heading in the same direction. <laughs> totally on the wrong side of the road. Okay. Not not going very fast. So we get behind it. We're watch, watching it. It does not waver from that side of the road. Keeps going. We get onto a long straight pit, piece of road. No other traffic coming. We put the blue lights on. Try and get it to stop safely. It doesn't stop. It keeps going. Keep further on. When it was safe to do, you get past it nice and smart. And you slow down in front of it slowly. Blue lights, hazard lights, they could not fail to see us. Eventually it comes to a halt. And I tell my colleague, no, I'll, I'll deal with this, you're off duty. Leave the car. I walk out from my police car, five yards back to this car. And there's a little old lady in the driver's seat. <laughs> and I mean, she's tiny, tiny lady. She stops the car, she winds the window down. Yes, officer. She's absolutely legless. Absolutely three sheets to the wind. She hasn't put the brake on the car, so that starts rolling forward before I can speak to her. So you have to reach across her and put the handbrake on. Are you all right, madam? She says, yes, I'm wonderful, officer. Thank you very much. And she was very, very well-spoken. Oh, okay. I said, um, didn't you see us behind you? Didn't you see the blue lights? She said, yes, I wondered what you wanted. <laughs> oh. You are driving on the wrong side of the road. Oh, it's all right. I'm going home. And that, any car coming the other way, it could have been really nasty. Um, you've had a bit to drink, haven't you? Yes, I have. And I'm allowed to because it's my birthday. I'm going <laughs> home. She'd been out to dinner with friends and was absolutely legless and was now driving home. Well, she couldn't even supply a breath test. She was so far gone. It, it wasn't working. So we arrested her. We got her into the police car. This little old lady. And she said, I must say, you're both very polite about this. Very, very polite. <laughs> Are we? She says, yes, I live in Bures. I live down there. The policeman in that village there is absolutely awful. He's a rude animal. He's horrible. <laughs> well, that was the gentleman I was taking home. And she was so drunk, she didn't recognise him. You can't, you can't write one like that. No. You know, talking of things, as you were talking about the car rolling back, that reminded me of our first five minutes in Lowestoft when we were testing. So, I've got a mate who I can only describe as a flapper. Okay. Right? Anything that happens in life, he starts flapping. And if you start taking the mick out of him about something, he will pick, he will pick something up that you've done and he will throw you up under the bus. Not a push, it's a two-handed throw. Anyway, I, I can only describe this lad as, you remember the, I think it was a Samsung advert for the VR headset, and there's an ostrich running along the, running along, running along the desert, wherever it is, with his headset on, 
and he's flapping, thinking he's flying. Right. Right. This is my mate, absolute flapper, and you can see it in him. So we get all set up, lovely, lovely jubbly. It's our first more, our first morning testing. We'd just been, we'd been, been at Kendro Barracks on the Friday, shown how to do it. Saturday morning, we all shiny soldiers turn up to this car park, set up, textbook style stuff. Car pulls in, and then we pull. So my mate puts a number up to the window. I call him. He says, I'm on, sir, how are you? We're going to do your test. So he starts going through the test. With that, another car pulls in behind, and one of the other lads starts doing a test there. We're sort of double stacking them um, to keep everything neat and tidy because the army likes straight lines. So um, this bloke starts doing the test, and it was I was, I was, doing what I was doing, floating about. Um, he bloke panics, takes his foot off the brake of his car with no handbrake on and just rolls back in he goes, handbrake sir, handbrake sir bang hits the back of this, this car uh, the, his uh, in front end of this car behind him all my mate does on the phone to him, in the car with the windows all shut, trying to get him to do the test he goes, you fucking dick right, just like that at that point, he realised what he's just said had gone through the phone. And the bloke's panicking because he's just hit a car. No, no, stay in the car, stay in the car, don't get out. The bloke in the other car now wants to go. No, no, sir, stay in the car. We'll do the tests and then we'll get you out of the car park and you can do all the insurance stuff. No, your car looks fine, there's no damage, but, but don't panic. We'll do it out of the car. So, sir... I'm sorry about that language. And he then spends the rest of the minute of the time getting to do the test and apologising at the same time. Just fabulous. And that isn't the only time we had the... Um, eye. We had a bloke turn up and the eye car park was very weird. So you went down to the first bit, got your test, and you drove round the corner, up the road, past the police station in Eye, and then you into the back of a hospital car park. That's where we're doing the test, and you went back out of there and onto the main road and away. As this bloke gets his test and comes up the little straight bit of road past the police station, he winds his window down and goes, Up the army! Like this. We think, Oh, okay. Here we go, another one. Puts his window back up, comes to this test. Does this test eventually. It was a bit, bit of a test in one, he was a bit of an old, older geezer. At that point, he goes to drive off. My mate is stood on the curb because he parked on a curb. He stood. He stood on the on the path. I right, sir, thank you very much. You uh, you can go now. Oh, brilliant! Just stop by that vehicle there and, and post your test, and then you can be on your merry way. Car starts. Yeah, you know, the old as, in, as the old person does, guns the engine before anything else happens. Puts it in gear. Starts to come forward towards my mate on the path. So he dives out the way and goes, What are you doing? Like this. Bloke then stops, stalls the car. We start the process again, then comes backwards and nearly hits all the lads behind him. Then drives out and tries, Oh, fabulous. So, you retire, got Constable Farm. What is the next project? Where, where are you going? What do you want to do? The next, the next action is to consolidate what we got. It's um, greenhouses, polytunnels, 
and sustain and grow on what we've done already. The, um, we've already got orders for Christmas pork already. The pigs are coming along nicely. Are you going to do something like a Christmas hamper or anything like that? Not this year. We're just going to stick to the sides of pork, bacon and sausages. Um, a, ba a butcher's near Dad's, near home, do um, a hamper. And it's all a meat hamper. Something to think about. Yeah, it's, it's a marketing marketing plot. What we've done at the minute is, and it's all been by word of mouth, is I'll have four pigs available, make phone calls and say, right, do you want another half of pork? How do you want it cut? And, uh, oh yeah, great, thank you very much. How much sausages do you want? Cause we, can get, we can get the sausages and bake. We can now get the bacon cured. Um, and we've had people come back year on year. Uh, we've already done three pigs earlier this year. We've got the four more this year. If I can just steadily increase it by maybe one or two pigs a year, that will max out what I can do on that plot that I have. Yeah, because it's not very big. Um, the sheep, nine this year. They'll be ready for March next year. Um, I've got space to put in one additional paddock, not necessarily to increase numbers substantially. But just make sure there's enough grass. If if it, things dry out, the yeah. idea is we try and keep them as grass fed as possible, rather than buy in pellets or muesli yeah. for them and that sort of stuff. I don't know if it affects sheep, but I had some venison that was farmed venison, and I could taste the pellets in in the in the shop in in the oh in the, in the meat yeah in the feed. Now I don't know if that is something that affects sheep as well. Um, as, as you know, I can't stand the damn stuff. I can't stand lamb because uh, I can taste the wool. But I, I do wonder if I had a more of a grass-fed lamb, if I'd be able to stomach it more. Yeah, I mean, it's dependent on where your farm is. You, for winter, you may have to put down additional feed for them if they can't get to the grass. We we do that when we have to. The pigs are. Yes, there's a standard pig pellet for them. Hasn't been a flavour issue, but no. we supplement them substantially with fruit and veg, which is just put in as well. So they're off-grid off pigs. Off-grid pigs. <laughs> is this what seems an off-grid pig? And uh, this is, it's not totally organic. We're no. as organic as, you can, as we can be. Yeah. I think they've got a fair, fairly varied diet. I think they do they do all right. They're outside in large paddocks all the time that we have them. Um, like I said um, earlier in the year, when you had your sausage problem, <laughs> um, if you get yourself a mincer or something, what I'll do is I'll get some venison and you can do some venison patties and sausages and bits and pieces. Yeah, losing 700 quid's worth of sausages was a bit of a pain. Yeah. Yeah, it makes you look a fool as well, you know. But, but, but it's happened. It, yeah, I mean, it happens. something else. We're also wanting to put in a, a breeding unit so we can have sows up there. Um, the supply of piglets is quite a, a good market. A lot of people want to do their own. Yeah. Uh, but they don't always breed them. always want them to buy them in as, as weaners. Got the space, if we can have a, a breeding sow up there, great. It's another line of income. 
Yeah, you can either keep them for yourself or you can... With a traceability line. Yeah. It's um, met some very helpful people this year and that just adds to what we're able to do up there. Yeah. Yeah, you could use a, you use a small holding dicky quite a bit, didn't you? Network. Yeah. Um, and people like me who meet randomers. That's it. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you, mate. Um, I think we'll leave it there. There's a there's a bag. Mm-hmm.